Find out why more and more people are betting with Betfred. Make betting on the football season super easy. Betfred's new app makes it super simple to place your bet and even offers protection like bad beat bonuses. The newly improved app comes with more markets, more bonuses, and more action. When you bet with Betfred, you're a big fish in a small pond and you'll feel it. This is the Doc Talk Podcast presented by Betfred Sports 2023, episode 22. All right, here's something new we don't do very often, and that is a midweek podcast in the middle of the season with a guest. But you know, there's, there's a certain guest we do it for. Well, though. when one guy says, "Hey, I'm coming to town. Can I come on the show?" We bend over backwards for this. Yes, guy. you know, he, yes. he he he's like the Godfather, right? It's like it's like Don Corleone walks in the house, and it's your house. It is my house. It's your basement. My wife the basement. freaks out. The basement looks nice now. My wife freaks out when Joe Moglia comes to the house. And let me tell you why. It's never clean enough. You know, and I'm not a clean freak. I'm kind of a dirty guy, you know? And she starts, the bathrooms aren't clean. The kitchen's not clean. The bed, you know, nothing's clean. <laughs> Joe Moglia, welcome back to the Doc Talk podcast. Do you mind a dirty house? Not at all, Travis. Not at all, Rob. By the way, I think Dan here's a shithole anyway, so I think this is all terrific. But I appreciate you guys making the time for me tonight. I really do. I enjoy this every time I come into town, and it's great to see the both of you. You know, the funny thing is, th- there's no agenda tonight. You know, we didn't we didn't really have an agenda. We 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 were just sitting down. We're going to talk life. We're going to talk business. We're going to talk football. Talk lots of things. Uh, but let's catch up. I mean, last time you were here, you kind of indicated that your coach at Car- Coastal Carolina was going to leave. Yep. Uh, I think we were like two weeks out from yeah. when that coaching change yeah. happened. And then you turned around and hired uh, former Nebraska offensive coordinator Tim Beck. Uh, what did you like? What what goes in? to hiring a head coach, or did you know right away you wanted Tim Beck to be your coach? No, I didn't know that. But I knew Tim, remember when I first came back to football, I began in Nebraska for two years. The two years I was at Nebraska, Tim was there, so I had gotten to know him a little bit. And when I left to take the Omaha Nighthawk job, the year before I took the Coast Carolina job, those last couple, two or three years with Bo, he was the offensive coordinator. So anticipating, because we had been doing really well, and anticipating especially with what other schools can pay. And uh, I knew eventually we're going to lose our coach. So every year I really spent some time taking a look at who are the coaches that are out there. I would make it a point to get and have our SID help out with statistics. And if you were like seventh in the league, but you had the, the best offense in the league, I'd want to take a look at that. Uh, or uh, but, but then I'm looking for a coordinator. But in terms of, of, of the, the head coach and what I was looking for, you know, we've talked a little bit about my leadership philosophy called it BAM, be yep. a man, right? Stand on your own two feet. Take responsibility for yourself, treat others with dignity and respect, and live with the consequences of your actions. I was looking for a guy that would be able to personify that. And that would be something that'd be really important to me because there's no excuses, there's no games, crystal clear, crystal clear communication. And I, I want to begin with that. Then, frankly, I'd want to, I want to also make sure that he's the type of guy I would want, you know, my kid to play for. He's the type of guy. I mean, it's my program, and the type of guy that I want my kids, my players, to be able to play for. And then, at the end of the day, I think he's got to be a good football coach. Whether he's a, got an offensive background or a defensive background, a special teams background. As long as he understands the significance of all three phases of those games, I think you can't really compete and be efficient if you're not really pretty highly well organized. So I was looking for that. I was looking for a crystal clear communic- communicator. But then somebody I thought that also, all the, assuming I had all those things, then I wanted after that, then I wanted somebody that would play well to the fans and the community and the school. And Tim, I really felt was all those. But I had been looking for people. I probably looked very, very carefully about 15 guys over the span of two years. 
Wow. Did Tim, I, I kind of lost track of Beck a little bit after he left Nebraska. Had he has he been a head coach prior to this position? Only in high school. Okay, in Texas high school. He's been offensive coordinator though when he left Nebraska. I may get the order mixed up, but at, at Texas or Ohio State or vice versa, and then at UNC. Okay, so he's been a Power Five coordinator for the last 12, 13 years. Well, I mean that's so. You always hear athletic directors have like a, a a list already. So so if something happened, do you have a list right now? Do do athletic directors keep a a list in the in the drawer of, of who they always want? And was Tim always on that list? When, I think the I think and I, I think athletic directors. I think they do that. Okay. I mean, I think I think it wants to make it sense. If if I'm an athletic director for every one of my sports, I'm going to have something like that. I think though the difference between me and an athletic director, the athletic director almost always goes out under the under the veil of secrecy. And uh, he hires a search firm, and the search firm brings in the people that they kind of want. The athletic director will usually ask the search firm to vet a guy or two or three or four or five, whatever it might be, and then they wind up getting something done. Now, I did 100% of this on my own, and uh, I did my own due diligence. I did interviews. I, 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 my guys, my top three or four candidates had a contract at the end of September top five had contracts at the end of September because I didn't want to get to the end of the season and find out that we had an issue with compensation or anything. So then it was a matter of staying in touch over the span of the season and then, frankly, me prioritizing those and then having the right one meet with our president. And then later on when we were finalizing it, the athletic director was certainly in the loop with regard to that. And uh, and a lot of the guys we were talking about this past year were guys we were talking about the year before. So he had an idea what was going on there. Uh, but I, I approach it differently than what most athletic directors do, and I know that. And I think there for that's and I think because of that, I think that's the reason why hopefully the probability that we're going to be successful with Tim is greater than what it would normally be because this is the reason why I think so many there are so many bad hires, not only in college football at the all division one level, but also in the NFL. So I, I'm I'm curious to how this works because you're a visionary. You're a visionary at Merrill Lynch, at TD Ameritrade. <laughs> uh, when you went to Coastal, you didn't do it like every n- normal coach, should we say? Do we? Are you doing it the right way? Are you setting a trend here where somebody just owns football? You have an athletic director that runs every other sport, and somebody's just in charge of football because football is that important to a college athletic department. Yeah, I think no, I'm not setting a trend. If I was setting a trend, maybe someone <laughs> would have talked to me about being their head coach at some point. At some point in time, and I think I have because of my background. At the risk of sounding modest, I've got a different background than any other athletic director has in the country. So therefore, for me, when I was hired at Coastal by a president at the time, he was very much aware of my background. And when we talked about it, and I said. If you're going to get, if, if I'm going to be able to deliver, you've got to allow me truly to run the program the way I see fit. Now, you can h- fire me for whatever you want. If you don't like what comb my hair, you can fire me. But I really run football, and I'm responsible. I think I understand budgets as well as your athletic director as anybody else. So that was the handshake, and that was the handshake between me and the athletic director. So he handles all the other sports, and I handle football. Uh, but I think if that... I, 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 I think you need a different person in the athletic department that you probably bring in from the outside to to have a, have a system like that. And most athletic directors don't want nothing to do with that because they want want to run football. They want football reports. So there's no friction between you and the athletic director no. at Coastal. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, that's a great arrangement. I mean, because very few people would agree to something like that in an athletic director's role. And uh, right, but the president was really making the decision. Now, a little bit of background on this. So when I first first got to Coastal. Dave DeSenza was the president. Um, 
uh, Hunter Juracek, who's at Arkansas, was the athletic director. I did everything through the president. Then I went through the respective committees. I met with Hunter and all that. Hunter never would have hired me, ever. He never would have hired me. And I understand that. No other athletic directors were hiring me either. But the president really did believe that I was the right guy and he was going to give me that type of authority. Now, remember, they can fire me, but I'm running football, which frankly, I think that that one's making a lot of sense. Before I took the job, that was the handshake I had with the president. I went to the athletic director and I said, you understand what we discussed. You understand what we went over. I said, I'm going to report to you. I'm going to work for you. I'm going to, you know, all that. I said, but you understand what the responsibility is. And yeah, we shook hands on that. That's not the way it exactly went. So to kind of move fast forward a little bit, uh, but that's, I still ran the program. Uh, and there was a little bit of friction there. I've got a lot of respect for Hunter, but we had a little bit of friction. Then he wasn't leaving, and he went to Houston, then uh, Arkansas. So that all worked out very, very well for him. When we were hiring a new athletic director, the guy we hired was the voice of the Shauna Clears. It was, it was Matt Hoke. And Matt, Matt was, uh, uh, Matt had been our, our, our voice for football, uh, basketball, baseball for like 20-something years. He taught in our marketing department, and all the coaches really did know him and loved him. The problem was he didn't have any experience in terms of running anything. So they talked to me about, about becoming athletic director. I didn't want any part of that. Not keep football, but I didn't want any part of that. So we created a position where Matt, we all agreed, Matt would become athletic director. I would become chair of athletics. He would report to me, and I'd report to the president. And the whole objective there was not for me to run it for him. But with the experience I've got, to be able to work with him for the first year or two, answer his questions, help make sure he's going in the right direction, and then eventually kind of cut that loose. He then reports to the president on his own for all the other sports, and I continue in my role. Man, that's a, that's idyllic. I mean, I mean, and I hear you say a guy like me can be an athletic director, which is pretty cool, right? No. Because I can't be? No. <laughs> There's an intelligence level there that wow. I'm sure has. To be. Wow, that hurts. Man. Well, but I mean, if you look at, I mean, where athletic directors are coming from, I, I thought Dave Remington, who had a very limited time frame at Nebraska, did a very good job holding down that position. You look at a guy like Trev Alberts. He was a former pro football player and sportscaster yeah. when he took over at UNO. Now. You can disagree with a lot of the things that happened when he was at UNO, but on the whole, in terms of running a department, again, I go back to the fact that I Trev was the messenger for other for decisions that got made. Maybe he, he had a budget to hit. I mean, I mean, Division Two football doesn't make money. No, I get it, but he he he's not the one who pulled the trigger and made those decisions. You're right. I'll give you that. Are you talking about giving up football and, and emphasizing hockey? Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying Trev, Trev, Trev got told here, here's the decisions that have been made. Here's the axe. Go chop heads. I, and I, here's whose heads you're going to yeah. chop. He got told that. Well, because for football to compete no. anymore at UNO, you, you had had to make the jump to Division One AA. And you, made the, you went from 1AA to yeah. 1A. Was that a hard transition, or and why was that necessary for Coastal Carolina to go up? And well, I think a little bit. You know, part of it was I was really convinced, and I think we all believed this, that we were going to win a national championship at one double A. We really did believe that we became an elite program there, and because of that, we were invited to the Sun Belt. Okay, we were invited up, and I think part of this was a little bit. I think 
a little bit was the ego of our board or the key people within our board that really kind of liked athletics, the guys that really wanted me to come in. And then, oh, let's go. We can go from here. We can go to there, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, part of this is marketing. You know, we're not going to have 50,000 people in the stadium and we're not going to have huge television revenues like a lot of other people have. But I think a little bit of that is ego. I think a little bit of that is ego, which that would not have gotten in my way, but that got in the board's way a little bit, and I wanted to support the board. And then we got there. It is more money. I mean, we are making more money because of this, but to put that in perspective, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, you know, what the group of five makes is absolutely like zero compared to what the power five makes. But there is a budget involved with that that we've got to be able to take care of. So I was just leaving Nebraska to take the Omaha Nighthawk job when this decision was made at, at, at Omaha. Yeah. At UNO. And uh, I remember nobody talked to me about it, but I was aware of kind of different things that I was hearing. And I thought, I, I am a believer in the business world. I feel the same thing in athletics. If we've got to cut, for example, a lot of leaders, they'll okay, we'll cut 5% across the board. I think that's the worst possible thing you could do. You're cutting 5% across the board. So what we did, we get like a place like Ameritrade or Merrill Lynch, but I would do the same thing in athletics. What are the businesses that give us the greatest opportunity, which are the ones that we're never really going to mount anything with? I'll eliminate the ones that we're not doing particularly well. I'll take half that money and offset the budget, offset losses we may have. I'll take the rest of the money and I'll pour it into the stuff that I want us to be good at. That's what we did at Merrill Lynch. At different it's a strength maximization. Yes. Yes. But mo- most of the time that doesn't happen. And uh, so I think that philosophy now, regardless of what the reasons were, that philosophy is kind of what happened in UNO. You eliminated sports so you could devote more money to the hockey program. Now, otherwise, you're going to probably be mediocre in each of them unless you really have a great program and a great coach. And I wasn't commenting on those guys. Uh, but, you know, there is something to be said because of the budget relative to that. But the objective should be we're doing this so this can shine. Yeah. You can take the strengths and put them up there. Yes. Although – Wrestling was a hell of a strength, but well, I think you had a coach who didn't want to go to Division One. I, I mean, you had everybody else going Division One, and football would have had to go to Division One. That means yeah. scholarships. You'd had to redo the stadium. There's a lot of Fo- things football, that to be yeah, happening there. I, yeah, I mean, I think it was long term. Where do you want to be from a success standpoint within the realm of that sport on the wrestling side of it? I think it was a business decision on the football side. Or Trev Alberts and Mike Denny didn't like each other. Um, I think they definitely clash. <laughs> just just a little bit. Just a little bit. Now, but the thing is, though, I, I've had multiple discussions with Trev all on the business side of stuff down in Lincoln. Because I asked him once, hey, at what point does Nebraska add women's wrestling to compete with Iowa? And Trev gave me a very good answer. And it was all, it, it was all numbers. It was all business. It was, it, it was pure math. And I remember walking away from it disappointed because Nebraska's probably never adding women's wrestling. Um, they're probably not adding any sports on either side of the gen- of the genders, period, for quite some time. But the thing that I took from the conversation walking away was like, holy cow, thank God we got this guy involved because he understands the numbers involved in the game now. And he understands how to maximize this and maximize that and take these strengths and put those out there. And that's where all, a lot of that effort's going to go. When you're talking Power 5 football, uh, the, the top five conferences, how big a business is that? I mean, you've run big business for a long time. 
what what size of business would you put these in? I mean, I put it. Uh, they're not they're not mega cap tech companies, you know. But these are very very real businesses. I mean, uh, you guys are probably aware of all the numbers, but I'm pretty sure that you know there's reasons why UCLA and USC that are storied programs are going to travel all the way across the country at least five times a year. That's six thousand miles five times a year, and uh, they're going to have an impact. UCLA's got one of the best softball programs in the country. Well, well the softball team's going to have to travel. So why are they doing that? They're doing that for the money. So. Uh, the numbers that I'm aware of in 2024, the Big Ten probably comes in at $100 million apiece. That's crazy. Like that's every school, just for football, every year and it probably goes up. The second second conference in 2024 will be the SEC. I'm not sure what the numbers there, 75, 80. The reason why the Big Ten so far ahead of time was because Jim Delaney had the smarts to be able to figure this out back, back when when nobody else was doing it. And you guys know as well as I do, but that's one of the biggest reasons why we went – uh, to the Big Ten because of the money, and there was an issue maybe with we, uh, Oklahoma and Texas. Yeah, you know, so I can Texas especially. I appreciate all that, but the money is very, very, very significant. And I, I think back in 2013 it was my second year, and I think uh, I, I don't remember what year it was, but it was the first year we started getting a check, and we got 32 million dollars. This is going back 10 years, so that money just by itself is. You and at the us. time, you that was us. a huge amount of money at the time. Oh, what, $100 million is a huge amount of money today. Yeah. But you see, that, that that's the issue that I've got. We talked a little while ago about right the due diligence that I think you need to put in to make the right decision. All right, now, remember, I'm anticipating my guy's going to leave, but I don't know he's going to leave, but he leaves. So I'm ready, to, I'm ready to go for that. Plus, he's going to communicate that with me anyway. But a lot of times when you know your guy's going to leave, you should be prepared. If you're not, you should be fired, right? But where there is a disruption where, oh, I was surprised the guy left. Well, the guy can leave at any time. Somebody's going to pay him $10 million. You've know, you got to be prepared all the time for your guy to leave. So then they start their search kind of late, and then a week or two goes by, and in the middle of NIL and the portal and automatic transfer, that's a death knell. To your program, you can't an AD whoever's in charge can't allow that to happen. So, so with with regard to uh, so with, with with regard to what's specifically going on now, uh, you've got the the ADs or whoever's responsible at the last minute they panic because they're getting heat from all over from every place, and they maybe rush into and they're not probably negotiating compensation first. They're trying to recruit the guy. Then they finally got the guy, and the agent is negotiating for him, and they go, well, we're not going to do it for that money. And that's why the numbers are going crazy, and the severance packages are ridiculous. Now, that's horrible business. As business people, people that negotiate those deals should be fired. They should be fired. But it's big business. I mean, it's big business. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It does seem that compensation seems to be like the last, okay, we got our guy. Oh, shit, well, we, he wants paid. Well, we crack jokes all the time about, hey, I would definitely take a college football coaching job right now just to get fired and walk away with a <laughs> severance package. I mean, does it, do those severance packages happen in, in, in the real business world that, that are that size? No, that, no, no, they're not like that. Now, you can have – now. We're not talking about the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, yeah. right? We're not, we're not talking about— It's all relative to the level of the business. So. But what happens is, is the, the contracts are well thought out. They're discussed. In the business world, most of the time, it's run like a business. In the world of college athletics, when it comes to contracts, et cetera, et cetera, it's not run like a business. Now, many are going to say it is. Presidents will say it is. It's not. It's not. If it were, then these things wouldn't be happening the way they way they happen. So, so you knew how to negotiate with Tim Beck then. 
So you knew, I mean, you, you've been in this world. You knew the type of contract you wanted to write. Well, it's simpler than that. Look, if, if we're going to get together and you guys would be, uh, if you'd be in command, demand for a Power 5 job, right? And I can pay a million dollars. What I've got is a little different than other programs is we have like a Wall Street bonus system. So I can pay a million dollars and then I can give, I'm not giving you five million and you get, get five million if you lose every game. I'm giving you a million dollars and then I give you a bonus system that if you do this, do this and do this, you can make up to maybe Another million, million and a half. But that's all we've got. That's all we've got. So I'm not fooling around with that at the end. So everybody, I said, I, I said my top five guys had contracts in September. So that included their compensation. So I said, guys, this is how much money I have. This is what we have in terms of bonus packages. This is what I've got. That's it. So if this is not, not going to work for you, then let's start, let, we're not going to fool around with this at the end. And at the very end, I'm always going to have another guy. Everybody thought I had at least two, three guys, which I actually did. And if you're fooling around with me at the end, bang, you're out. I'm going to the next guy because I can't trust that guy now. So that's the first thing we did. So we take care of that up front. You get that over with. You know how much time is wasted trying to find your guy? Then at the end, you're going to go, then they hold you over a barrel. Yeah, I, I do. I see it every day in, in where I work, right? You go through the interview process, you do two, three interviews, and you wait to talk money right then, and then it's like, oh, the guy's too expensive, or, or, or you're getting him at a steal. It's just, I never thought of starting right away with, with money. If, why waste your time? Why not take your pool and get the best possible people can in the pool? Not the best people in the world, the best possible people that you can have in your particular organization or program. The other thing that's crazy then is the, is the buyouts. Right. So that's another thing we negotiated differently. So I also told in the very, very beginning uh, that, look, we're not going to give you look, we're trying to do everything you can to build our program. We're proud of where our program is. Uh, the, the, the board is behind us. We're trying to raise money. We finally broke ground the other day. We'll have it in a year and a half on an indoor facility. We don't have an indoor facility, and we competed pretty well without that. Hold it. You're in warm weather. Do you need an indoor facility? You know how hot it gets? First of all, it's 105 degrees. Okay, okay number fair. one. That's and fair. it you rains, and it rains, and there's so lightning. I, well, no, I'm, I'm laughing at you because, so, my daughter goes to school at Florida State. My, my wife has a good friend who's, I'm just going to say is well-connected at Florida State. Well, call it that so i've gotten the back scene behind the scenes tour all the athletic facilities florida state has an amazing indoor facility and when i'm looking at this indoor facility with with one of their assistant athletic directors i asked i was like hold on a second this is panhandle of florida i was i was like Dead of winter. It's like forty-eight degrees here. Otherwise, it's it's sunny and eighty-seven degrees out. Why do you need an indoor facility for God's sakes? And, and he the the next thing he said, and, and I guarantee it because I've been in Charleston before. I've been in the South Carolina coast. I know that area a little bit. He was like, "You have no idea how many times it storms here. A lot of rain. A lot of lightning." A lot of hurricanes, a lot of tropical storms. He goes, that's a that's a common thing here. And he goes, you know, you you want that indoor facility in the Midwest, upper Midwest, northern facilities because of the cold and the snow. We want it down here because of the rain, the lightning, and the hurricanes. He goes, that that's our that's the our version of snow. Right. We gotta have that. And I'm like, all right, that makes sense. Is it the Moglia indoor facility? No. 
It's not the Mowgli indoor facility, but we are going to have an indoor facility. <laughs> we are going to have an indoor facility. Did you know he has a stadium named after him? There's a Mowgli Stadium. Did you know that? You didn't at know Coastal that? Carolina. No. Oh, it's at Fordham. He was just put into the Fordham Hall of Fame. The uh, I'm at, Again, I apologize for the risk setting and modest. We've been around about 190 years. Fordham's been around 190 years or so. We've got about 225,000 alums. I am... Only the fourth person in the history of Fordham to have been a recipient of their Athletic Hall of Fame, in, inducted into their Hall of Honor, and uh, a recipient of the Founders Award. And uh, this season, our football stadium has become Mowgli Stadium. In fact, from here on Friday, I go back to New York. We have a bye week. I go back to New York, and Saturday is going to be the dedication. That's nice. awesome. It's nice. kind of cool. Yeah, no, that's a kind of a special thing. So the president at Fordham was the president at Loyola New Orleans where my daughters went to school. So I got to meet her several times. She's, she's That's the current president. At Fordham, yeah. Yes. She's she's a smart mm-hmm. smart person. She's really good. You know, when you talk, TD Ameritrade just went through a huge merger with Charles Schwab. Um, what we're seeing in college football now with what could be the dissolvement of the Pac-12 and all the shifting – is this nothing but a big business merger? Is that what you could compare these this conference realignment to? Is to to well, business? Merger? I'm saying it's all being driven by the money, and it's being driven by people that no one is willing to say, "No, I'll take less." So if I worry about my school, I'm going to get so much money, or I'm the commissioner of the league, I'm going to get so much money. Uh, I don't want to take less than that. So I'm always going to operate in a way that's in my best interest. Now, okay, we should understand that, but I think. You've got everybody in. You've got, uh, you know, we have the Pac Two now, and we have all other things that are kind of going on. I think one of the things that that, that I've I've spoken about is uh, uh, we opened up against UCLA and Chip Kelly, and uh, I, I know Chip a little bit, so we spent about a couple hours or so uh, the, the the day of the game, and we talked about this whole realignment thing, and it was his idea, but I thought it was a brilliant idea, and he said, you know, you have, let's say you have sixty five uh, schools, Power Five schools, so he said the sixty five should negotiate together and when you look at the amount of money that's out there and the demand for college sports especially power five type schools it, it's an inordinate crazy amount of money if you gave each school 100 million dollars now technically that means that means the big 10 might be getting less but but we want to solve nil we want to solve the transfer rule we want to solve title nine we want to solve a lot of things here everybody gets 100 million dollars power five um, and you're you're talking about not the Big Ten negotiating and the SEC no negotiating five. and Big 12 negotiating. You're talking about all of them getting together in yes. one entity yes. and negotiating. Yes, yes. So you have the power of all of them together. It's an incredible As soon power. as you say that. It makes incredible sense. I am shocked nobody's sat Egos down. Egos and power get in the way, though, right? 100%. I get it, but like, as soon, like the thought process has never crossed my mind because you always think of it as an us versus them. Big Ten versus the SEC, SEC, Big Ten and SEC versus the Big 12. Big Ten, SEC, Big 12 versus the Pac-12. Let's let's tear up the Pac-12. It's, it, it's, it's so much of an us versus them mentality. But as soon as you say that and you look at it as a, hey, let's take Power 5 college football as an entity and negotiate against all of media or – with all of media, mm-hmm. God, that makes sense. It does. I mean, like to, look, it, it's sort of a 
That's a paradigm shift. A little shift. light bulb just went There's on. There's a little it. paradigm shift right there that had never crossed my mind. Well, if you this think is it, why we like to hang out with Joe. Yeah. Well, if you think in terms of, forget Fox, NBC, CBS, forget, forget just all the streaming yep. opportunities, right? Netflix alone, I think it was the end of the second quarter, generated $800 billion in revenues. Now, revenues, one quarter, one company. Now, well, the, $800 billion. Eight, eight billion. Eight billion. Eight billion. Okay. I said eight hundred. By eight the billion. way, eight billion. Okay. Still, because <laughs> not a small amount of money. So if you if you take the sixty five and you go and this was it was Chip's idea, but I played with it a little bit. I do think it's a great idea, and I think it's very very workable. You take the sixty five schools, you get because hundred million dollars. Now, hundred times sixty five, that's six and a half billion. I just talked about. Netflix by themselves for one quarter generate over eight billion in in, in in revenues. All right, now. The school keeps seventy-five million. Okay. The other twenty-five million winds up going to the to the student athletes. You pay the student at the end of the year, not in the beginning of the year. And if he transfers, you don't get the money. Every freshman, every freshman gets a hundred grand. Every sophomore gets two hundred grand. Every junior gets three hundred grand. Every senior gets four hundred grand. Just for football, though. Just for football. Okay. That's that a million. Sense. Well, by the way, I begin with you got to break away from the NCAA. You totally break away. Power Five doesn't need the NCAA. Uh, Power Five should be able to do what they think they want to do. That's in the best interest of Power Five football. Um, and they got that. That's a must. That, 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 that's got to happen. So you're only doing it for Power Five football. So now, if, if I'm going to transfer to somebody else, well, I'm not getting my money. And the other school, you don't pay a guy that transfers in. You pay him the next year at the end of the year. So you've just eliminated, for the most part, NIL. You've eliminated all the crap going on with the transfer rule in the portal. And by the way, once you take Power 5 and you move it over here, you don't have a Title IX problem anymore. Everybody else in NCAA, male, female sports. Football's always been that exception. Football's now not part of the NCAA. Football's over here. And and what's ruined, I mean, Title IX, great. I'm a a supporter of Title IX. I never liked the fact that football was factored into the equation because you had to bring everything. I mean, they paid all the bills, but you had to bring the scholarships up to what football was. That was never fair because football paid the bill for everybody. I like this idea. So you've never been a big fan of NIL, but you're not, from what it sounds like, you're not opposed to players getting paid under the structure you just... I've never been opposed to players getting paid. I've been opposed to the horrific leadership by the NCAA. Remember, guys, I think we talked about this two and a half years ago when when the uh, when NIL was announced. Uh, the NCAA. I'm waiting to hear. That was the year I was I was speaking. I was speaking. I was I was giving a talk on the my unfiltered perspective of college athletics to Division One athletic directors, and I'm looking for what. The NCAA is going to say about this announcement. They're nowhere to be found. Leadership to me is it was is crickets critical. chirping, critical. And I, I found it, and I said that day to the athletic. I said I find this. I said then you got to break away from the NCAA. This is the most horrific example of leadership I have seen over the span of my lifetime, personally, business wise, football, athletically. This is a joke, a joke. Everybody in the NCAA should be fired. And you should break away totally from the NCAA. And I've written editorials on this. I've said this publicly quite a few times. Now you've got Charlie Baker who's come in, and he's a politician. And he's working on, there are three or four bills out there that are supposed to go to Congress to help straighten all this out. Now, a question. I don't know a business in the world 
that's a public business, doesn't have to be public trade, but it's a public business that would go to the government and try to get help. On the debate the other day, it was Reagan said in 1986 that the worst nine words anybody can hear in the entire English language is, hi, I'm from the government. government, I'm here to help. help. (laughs) Okay, so now Baker's telling me, or they're telling me that by the time they get this done, that uh, it's going to be two and a half more years from now because they're trying to do it through Congress. Congress can't agree with anything. Well, they just ousted the speaker today. That I didn't, you know, no, I didn't even know that. Yeah, McCarthy's gone, man. They, oh, is he gone? Yeah, they ousted him. First time in the history of our government that uh, that a sitting party's ousted their own leader. That's unbelievable. I, I mean, you're right. Don't trust the government. <laughs> well, it's it's a comp. Well, it's that, that's a whole other level. It is. So to kind of, yeah. so I may as well bear bear my soul in this one. <laughs> the I have I, I used one of the things I used to talk to my players about. Remember, we, every Thursday I took thirty minutes. Yep. Gave a practice to talk about stuff, and I said the biggest threat in the world to me is terrorism. So therefore. We need to understand how the military protects us, the role then of political and military leaders, and what role do we play? We live in a democracy. We have the right to vote. So that's where Coast Carolina was the first team ever to vote. Yep. Okay. That's 2016. Right. And that really was the biggest threat I thought existed in globe. We don't even talk about terrorism anymore. Right now, I have never seen in my lifetime more s- sincere stress at the geopolitical level than we're seeing today. At a time when our country is more divided than we've ever seen, than I've ever seen it, and with a lack of total leadership. That is not a good way. Your country being divided without real leadership at a time in the world where geopolitically people are out potentially to get us, that's not a good, that's not a good time. The possibility Have you ever thought about running for political office? How about Joe? president? President Joe Moglia. Uh, he's speechless. I, I got Joe Moglia to be speechless. <laughs> President Joe Moglia. Well, chances are that's not going to happen. <laughs> chances are. I know you make too much sense. That's the problem. But don't you think that's the case because of the division? Because great leaders don't want to go into politics because they don't feel they can get anything done? I, I know why. Okay, if, if I... I'll, if I call myself a good leader, I know I'm a good leader. If, if They don't leader, like compromising principles. Well... You can't get anything done. What you become is a politician. If I can get an assignment, hey, you're going to have this job and you're running it and that's it, that'd be a different story. But you've got to run for election. So if I've got a four-year office, for two years, I'm worrying about getting reelected. So you spend too much time on the politics and not enough time in the actual governance or the running of the place. So I wouldn't enjoy the political side and I wouldn't enjoy having to compromise. I know you got to compromise sometimes, but I wouldn't enjoy having to compromise anytime I want to get anything done, no matter how much sense it makes. That would drive me crazy. I'd be good giving a speech. It would drive me bananas. Is being a college football coach at some institutions, <clears throat> Nebraska, a little bit like that to where, Damn. well, in other schools, to where you feel like you're always trying to keep you're running for office and you don't, and you don't worry and you let things get away from you because you're always worried about keeping your job instead of doing the right things. Well then, okay. The best now, way. Wait, to lose- well, I mean, are you talking about politics looking good or no, winning games? I, no, no. Hold on. I, I think sometimes when you worry about keeping your job, you, you get away from, you worry too much about that side of it instead of just the coaching. Wait, what, when you say that side of it, what do you mean? Uh, you worry about the, that side of it is keeping your job because there's so but I, pressure from the fans, the, the pressure, pressure from, from the fans, alumni. administration, alumni. Jimbo Fisher's under a lot of pressure now. He's he's had more than ample time at Texas A and M, so I'm using him as an example. But there's plenty of schools. I don't think it. he's a very. I, 
Okay, I'm going to rephrase this. I think anybody who gets to that level knows what they're getting into is probably a pretty damn good coach. I'm not saying great, but he's a pretty damn good coach. You don't think coaches worry about keeping their job? No, they do. I guess I... My point is, is that with a guy like Jimbo Fisher, he's a guy who's hit this point where he's at this... He, he's in the top, not just power five. Top 10 job in college football. That's top 10 jobs in college football. I mean, that's A&M. One of the things you told me was that, I mean, one of the greatest experiences you had, I, I don't know if fan's the right word. No, the, but, the greatest but, place I've ever watched college football game is Texas A&M. It is. So th- I, I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say, <laughs> is that, I mean, that was one of the, that was an amazing experience, was going to go, was going to a Texas A&M football game, and you see that entire experience of it. That's where he's at. Yes. That's top what percentage of power five? Uh, Top 3%? Top Top three, top 5% of power five. It's got to be 95th percentile. Yeah, Yeah, is is, is A&M. He's failing to live up to what they want him to be at A&M. That's still pretty damn good. That's... I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I I guess maybe I'm not articulating right. I I just sometimes I think coaches worry about their job more than, and they let that be a distraction. Maybe more than a distraction. On a personal level, look at Scott Frost. I think Scott probably spent, I, I don't know what percentage of his effort and thought process and ability on. Oh my God! I'm back at Nebraska and the fishbowl that exists here, and everybody who's looking at me and Native Son, so on and so forth, trying to win back here. When all I want to do is go coach a football game, and I think that was a situation that was doomed to fail from the start. I say that in hindsight. At yeah. the time, I'd be the first to tell you. Myself and I don't know how many other alumni, former football players, looked at Scott when, oh my God, talk about hitting the nail on the head. We like, we won here. This is the best. This I can't believe we got Scott back here. This, this is gonna work, and it could not have failed more badly. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just it's it, it's one of those things that I think what you're saying. I, I totally get it. I think that 100% got to Scott. It messed with how he approached things, how he worked things, how he approached the media, the fans, the assistant coaches, the players themselves, recruiting. I think it screwed everything. Up. Yeah. That's why coaching at your level, I think it's more pure. I mean, you have demands, but I think it would be a lot more fun. Coach Dana Altman, remember Dana Altman? Uh, last year after Oregon got beaten in the NIT, he goes, listen, if y'all don't want me, I love coaching junior college football or junior college basketball. I'll go back to JUCO. If you don't want me, let me know and I'm out of here. I'd take him in Lincoln. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I think, you know what, when I coached in high school, um, there is tremendous – 
a lot of the pressure is self-induced. I remember mm-hmm. losing in high school and it killing me, it destroying, it, it killing me. Uh, same thing the first time around when I was coaching in the Ivy League. Uh, this time around, uh, every job I ever got, by the way, the guy before me was fired, even the high school level. The guy was always fired, so I'm coming in in that situation. Uh, the guy was fired, for the Coach Carolina job that I've taken. At the FCF, FCS level and group of five and power five, you get fired. So your job kind of is always on the line if you're not taking care of it. To go back to the A&M thing, but, and I think it's a great, great, great spot. But when you go to A&M, they're paying you because you're saying, we know that this is pretty good. We're saying, we don't want that. We want this. And we're going to pay you to deliver on that. R.C. Slocum. He was like a 9 to 10 win yeah. a year guy. Got fired. He's like the, he's like the Texas A&M Frank Solich. Yes. 100%. Right. Good way to put it. Um, Cooper over at Ohio State was the same way. He, two, what was it, 2-9-1 and one against Michigan? Yeah, but he still won nine nine games a year. He was a very good coach. Yeah. I mean, hell, we've talked although about Ryan would, Day. Ryan I Day's would probably him. say Jim Trestle was a better coach yeah. than yeah. Cooper. He just sold tattoos. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about you all I, I say that jokingly. It's it, He didn't sell Cooper tattoos. Cooper was the head but. coach with Bo. Bo was his captain, I think. Oh, really? I think so. I think so. Wouldn't that have been yeah, the same that, time? Yeah, that's probably yeah. about that time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it yeah. would have been. Yeah. You know, because we're talking about, you know, achieving at a very, very high level here, right? And, and Joe, I've been thinking about you all week. You may not even remember this. You may not even remember Travis things. thinks about you a lot. Well, that's mutual. That's mutual. Listen, Joe and I, <laughs> Joe and I have known each other a while. I mean, we struck up yeah, a Yeah, you a, have. You know, and... The lunch story... Is so intriguing. He probably didn't remember when we spoke together down in in in, in Bellevue one time, and he, he called me and said, "Let's go have lunch," and, and it was great. I, I felt really, I was like, "Oh my god!" I was starstruck. I still am every time you walk in the house. I, I was pacing like, "Okay, he's not here yet. Is is the house clean enough?" Um, Wait, but, you said your wife was the one who worried. Well, Aunt she, Jeanette worries well, about I, that. I did a little bit, but Joe, you may not it's remember. Real, this. It's really Travis but that worries. This this was the most truest word. What I like about you is you don't hold back words and really what you think. I think it was when you went to Nebraska, and it's right after I started MCL Construction. You you guys had like a – you brought in coaches and business leaders and had like a just a motivational day. It was at the Champions Club. Do you remember this? Yes. And I'll never forget this. It's stuck in – and I'm paraphrasing here because it was 10, 13 years ago. I remember a coach raising their hand and going, hey, Joe, you know, you've obviously – overachieved and, and not overachieved. You've achieved great things. And he brought up work-life balance. You know, how do you achieve work-life balance and still be the best at what you do? And Joe goes, you don't. You, you just flat out said, if you want to be the best, you're going to have to tell the kids, sorry, I'm not going to make your soccer game. You're, I mean, that is the biggest truth bomb. Because I, I hear it all the time. People want, I want to work from home. I need work-life balance. Well, you're never going to be great if you if you have all that. And that stuck with me. It, well, I think there was, I do remember this, by the way, and it was after that we went out for lunch. Yeah, and uh, I, I think there is, I think when you say something like that, though, you also want to recognize that's the way a lot of people may be thinking or they're feeling or they're being told by somebody. You know, you got oh, you can balance it, you can have everything, and so one of the things that I've always talked to, to our, our people about was. The key is communication between you and your life partner with regard to your family, right? It's worth life balance. I'm talking about family now. Okay. And the, if, if you both have to agree now, first of all, if you both have serious career paths, there's going to be a clash somewhere. So you need to get that straight down in the beginning. If one career path is clearly seen, whether it's the male or the female, 
more critical than what the other is, and you want to be the best there is at that, then you sit down, you agree, you sit down with your children and say, you know, mom and dad, we want you to be the best you can be. Well, you know what? I want to be the best I can be at, you know, uh, at, at, at driving a mail truck. I want to be the best I could be as a football coach or running an insurance company or as a dentist, whatever. But in order to do that, I got to work really, really hard and I got to put in time other people not putting in. And that means sometimes I'm not going to be able to be at your birthday party. It means I'm not going to be at your practice. I'm not going to be at your game. Now, if you ever need me, I'm going to be there. And you need to understand that. If the kids are raised like that, you don't feel guilty about missing a game. There's less clash in the house, and you've got the freedom to be able to do it. Now, it doesn't always work out that smoothly, but you've got the freedom then. <laughs> at, least, at least you don't feel guilty by doing what you need to do to get the job done, and you do the best job you can. Then, By the way, balance it doesn't mean always like this. Yeah, that's a balancing thing, too. It's a balancing act sometimes. But you've got to be communicative to make it work. But that doesn't mean you have pure balance. Oh, did you think I was around enough or too much? Too much. <laughs> he thought I was around too much. <laughs> Is it worse now or when you were younger? I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't. He, you know. No yeah, I know. I know. I uh, know. But I remember that. It sticks with me. And uh, and it was, a, it was a truth bomb. It was just like, I remember that coach just going, oh, my God. I'm going to have to, like. Sacrifice a little because that's what it is. It's sacrificing, right? I mean, Wait, so what time frame was this? Give me a ballpark for what? 2009. Yeah, no, because Bo was a head coach. Well, yeah. it might have been two, yeah. no, but I was at MCL, so it had to be in 2010, 2011. All right, 2010. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, do you have work life balance? Of course, you do. That's why you went to the orthopedic hospital. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> um, no, I just, you know, I'm thinking about this because, I mean, it was right around 2009, 2010 was when you were like, oh, my God. It's just, it, so, I mean, being a, doing sports broadcasting. Yes. That business. Yes. That's a seven-day-a-week gig. Well, and consider that's, what I was doing. That's 12 I was do months out of the year. I was doing Todd and Tyler in the mornings. Yeah. And I was doing Channel 3 at night. Yeah. I was doing Creighton basketball. You're hanging out with me yeah. on Sunday nights, like, at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, and my life probably wasn't going in the best direction, and I made a conscious decision, A, the broadcasting business was going to hell. Do you know what's funny? I remember hanging out, like, at Husker tailgates with the, the, with the C of MCL construction. Bob? Yeah. You can say his name, Bob Carlisle. Yeah, you weren't there, but I was hanging out with him, and he was just like, oh, my God, I'm trying to get Travis to jump ship and come work with me. He goes, he'll work five days a week. He'll see his kids. It'll be great, <laughs> and he'll make more money doing it. But look what I'm doing. I, I work five days a week. And now you hang out with me. No, but now then I took on a radio gig in Des Moines, so I'm doing that at 4.30 in the morning. Then I do the Iowa Call-In Show on Saturdays, and now we're podcasting every Sunday. So I'm still working seven days a week. Travis and I both have a problem. That's, we kind of like to work. <laughs> It's a, bad, it's a bad thing. We'd be good hires, Joe. I mean, we like to work. We like long hours and we like long days, you know? So. It might just be we like each other and we like alcohol, that, too. That's, so. that's, there's, there's a good point of that. Uh, you know what we don't like is that Joe had something up his sleeve when he came back. And I and I need to get to the bottom of this because you were coming in, you texted me, you said, hey, can we do a podcast? I'm like, absolutely. You're like, Then it's follow up. Hey, do you play Texas Hold'em? I'm like, no, nah, I don't play Texas Hold'em. Then your secretary says, hey, Joe wants Rob's email number. So I gave I gave Rob uh, uh, you his email. And you're like, 
hey, Rob, you'll play Texas Hold'em. Why do you want to take our money? Why do you, I've got two questions. Why do you want to take our money? And what's the buy-in for this Texas Hold'em game? Okay, I think if we show up, though, it's going to be like toothpicks or quarters. No, it's not quarters. What's the buy-in? 500, 1,000? $500, $500, but it's a cash buy-in. So if you run out of money, you can buy in again for another $500. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you have it. He has it. I don't. Well, I'll loan you some. <laughs> no. I'll loan I'm, you some. Yeah. yeah. What's the interest payment <laughs> on that? 14%. But that, that's reasonable because rates are going higher. <laughs> I just I suck at cards. There's, so, there's two things I suck at, bourbon and cards. So, you know, Betfred is our, is our presenting sponsor. But what is it about Okay, what is it about Texas Hold'em that you like? I, I want to bring the, the, the aspect of, because I know a lot of high performers. I'll be right back. You okay. guys want some of them to drink? No, I'm good. I would like another one of these, and I'll have one of those now. All right, you I'll want to be right back. Yeah. All right. But I also want one of these. So yeah, another uh, soda there, Rob, and then a, another bourbon. What is it about Texas Hold'em or the risk? Is there a challenge to that with you? Because I, I am I'm interested, because I know a lot of people, not to your financial status, but fairly wealthy that love to do this and what is it because i i'm scared shitless of losing a dime okay i'm serious so so uh, texas hold'em and golf to me are very very similar i they're competitive you've got to be able to win there's something at stake so 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 you're playing for something there's a risk involved but the reason why i love doing it is because i love the guys i hang out with i love my family place i enjoy playing with them i enjoy playing with my buddies I would almost never, I bet you in 25, not, count, not counting the chairmanship, because while I was chairman, I was coaching. But for 25 years, I was actively involved with Wall Street. I bet you I, I, I played in three or four golf events. Three or four, 25 years. I don't want to spend time with people that I don't want to spend time with. So for me, it's a, a good time to be able to relax, spend some time with my buddies, and we put some money on it. But it's not for the money, although it's nice to play for something. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. True. Oh, oh I, I got three aces. Oh, okay. Well, you win. Okay, that's nice. Let's go on to the next game. No, you got to play for something. Like uh, I, I, The guys I play with in golf... And, you know, you don't, nobody's giving you a putt. Nobody's giving you a mulligan. You know, you got to be able to play. But I play because I enjoy being with those guys. Now, I first started to play cards. It was just Texas Hold'em. That happened to be the card game because it was popular at the time. Uh, back back in, in New York when I was still at Merrill Lynch. And my son and some of his guys would get together and we would do, do that. And when I got here... When I got here, uh, I started up the game with some of the guys at OCC that I play, played golf with. And that was how I, I was involved with Warren. And uh, he asked if I played bridge. I said, no. I said, play Texas Hold'em. And he had reached out to me one day about he and Bill Gates having to speak at Nebraska. And he was going to come back to Omaha. And he was either, Gates was either going to leave and go back to Seattle or what do you think about maybe ha- having having a card game over at OCC? Hey, oh, let me see if I can figure that out. So in 2005, <laughs> you know, my group had played cards with Warren and Bill Gates at OCC. But that's how it all started. Was it Texas Hold'em or was it Bridge? Texas Hold'em. Was Warren a very good Texas Hold'em player? What he does, he doesn't like the gamble. He's a lot like you. You know, I think you and he are almost identical when it comes to money. No, because he identical. has a hell of a lot think, more than I do. I think he has more, but he doesn't want to lose a penny of it. He doesn't <laughs> want to lose a dime of it. And I think he's not, he can, he's very, uh, he loves making an investment. He doesn't necessarily like gambling. He loves bridge. 
but there's an intellectual part to the game bridge where usually not, you're not playing for money, usually. doesn't mean you can't. But that's the reason. I'm not a gambler per se, but I enjoy playing for something. And by the way, if as long as the same guys were getting together, we said we're going to play $10 cash buy-in, that'd be fine. Play $10 cash buy-in. But you got to play for something. So I was at Arbor Links in Nebraska City the last couple of days. Uh, played golf. We didn't gamble on the whole. So if I were to go to OCC with you, Happy Hollow, wherever. So what are we playing for a hole? 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 100 bucks? No, well, it, since I went back to football, you know, since 2009, I bet you I've not played 18 holes more than six, seven times. And uh, since I stepped down as coaching, I'm trying to get back to it the last couple of years. And then we had COVID in the middle of that. I'm just trying to get back now. So uh, I haven't played. I was supposed to play today for the first time with the Omaha guys, and we got rained out. But no, I think if I remember correctly, we'd play, uh, you know, we'd play Wolf. One of the captain's games where, you know, the, you play maybe $5 a point, but the points can add up very, very quickly. Okay. I'd say, I'd say if I'm going back when I was living here, so go back 10 solid years, 15 years. Uh, you know, if you had a bad day, you lost seven, 800 bucks, maybe $1,000. That was a bad day. Normally, maybe going back for 250 win, 250 you lose. Man, that's a that's a new microphone for the for for the basement. That's a new switcher. That's, that's all I. Well, hear. you see, so if you come to the Texas Hold'em game and you have a couple of good nights, I, you just buy a new buy a new microphone. I wouldn't know where to start with Texas Hold'em. I I've been so scared to 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 get in with it because I'm I've just I, I've just never been able to to part with money like that. And, and I that's why I and I'm even like that probably investing right. I I I'm way behind the eight ball when it came to four hundred one ks and stuff like that because like oh you. I need the money in my pocket now. You know, I never thought long-term like that. I was always in survival mode and not end of mode. Then I would suggest, now as a friend, Travis, gambling is not a good thing for you to do. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would avoid that. I would avoid I, that. I would agree with you. I I, I don't disagree with that You at know, all. I think I've got investment advice for you, though. What's that? S&P 500? So, well, I've given you that in the past, I think. S&P 500 is what you should be doing. But in the last year or two, thanks, Rob, in the last two, in the last year or two, uh, treasury rates have backed up. And in the very front end of the curve, like one month to one year, treasury, that's no credit risk, you can get 5.5%. Okay. So for an average of six-month paper, 5.5% with zero risk. Zero risk. This is the first time in the last 13 or 14 years where you can do that. Look at Rob just open a beer and spill all over the carpet. This is where you need a camera. <laughs> oh, we got it. I oh, think, got it. I, think, I, think <laughs> I think Owen got it all right. I didn't spill anything. That's why we have that's why we have paper towels down here cuz you know Rob's a mess. So tre so treasury's where it's at right now. Well, treasury's is, is the safest possible investment you can get in the world right now and get a 5.5% return with no risk. In 6 in 6 months? One to twelve months. Okay. Yeah. Take an average of that. Yeah. Are you still in the financial world? Because I know you're running football at Coastal Carolina. Yeah. Are you still in the financial world? I am. The uh, I, I am a founder and a partner and chairman of an asset management company out of Charlotte. I am a partner and a chairman of a wealth management company out of Naples, Florida. I pay attention to them. Plus, I like to do my own stuff too. So I've got my own team. I've got my own team that we kind of pay attention to the stuff that we've got going on, regardless of whether it happens to be responsibilities that have something to do with Coastal or something, or I'm giving a talk, whatever it might be. Uh, so I, I stay involved with it. And I'm still doing stuff on CNBC and the business well, news of Fox. I see, I see on Fox Business all the time. You yeah. were just on CNBC the other day. Um, do you miss Omaha? Yeah. I really, really do. You think I'd reach out to you guys if I did it? No. <laughs> well, the, 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 the reality is when, when I left here, 
Um, when I left, when I left New York, I always thought, I mean, I was born and raised in New York, spent most of my life in New York. My Wall Street career was New York. I, and I had an apartment in New York. I always assumed one day I'll probably go back. Uh, but I really, really loved it here. I mean, I really genuinely did. And then after 9-11, I'm thinking, no, I don't know why. I, New York's always going to be home, but this has kind of become home. And I, I don't know why I would want to move to back to New York. I could visit New York. And my family's there, and I got a lot of friends there. But I don't have to go back there, per se. And I really love it here in Omaha. And, um, and then nothing changed with that, with my taking the Coastal Carolina job. The difference since then has been... Number one, I'm established now in Coast Carolina. I was hated, hated in the beginning, and we turned that around, and I'm respected there now. How long but did that last? The hatred? Yeah. Um, almost a year. Okay. Which is people good. people think you bought the job, right? I mean, well, that's what they thought about then. Now, they still think that now. They're like in La La Land. Like, you're the only one who keeps bringing that up. Well, no, but it's yeah, a reality of the yes. situation. Yes. Although the within the realm of that world, that doesn't... Seemed like that long a time to me. What well, one year? I would agree with you, but he it's won not, pretty. Yeah, you won, won right away. What happened was the guy behind me, the guy before me, rather. He began the program, so he was there nine years. But his last five years, uh, and he did very well. First four years, the last five years, uh, not playing a particularly tough schedule. He was twenty nine, twenty eight. Uh, he was one and nine against the two toughest teams in the league. That was Liberty and Stony Brook. Uh, half of those games were catastrophes. Uh, the guys weren't graduating. The APR had gone to 933, 925 is the cutoff. Uh, and the kids were getting in trouble. So when they reached out to me to do this, the president had been following my career. And I think if I had not taken the job, I think they would have waited a year because they knew they, they made the 2012 schedule, which I inherited. The toughest schedule, they knew he was going to lose and they were just going to fire him. They would have opened up the, the spot. Uh, but when... We agreed I would take the job. I said I'd take the job at the end of November. They didn't announce the job till December 19th, or in the middle of December, December sometime. They allowed, after the last game, all the coaches knew they were going to get fired. They allowed them out on the road. Now, this is a botch in terms of how you handle transitions. And they wouldn't, they let him out on the road, then they bring him in off the road and they fire him. So now the guy was, he was, a good old boy who was funny. He was... Uh, uh, everybody loved him. Everybody loved him. Everybody loved him. Not locally, everybody loved him. Kind of, you go away too much, but nobody really cared. So when I came in, people, again, they didn't do the homework on me. Uh, they, I remember one of the articles that they written up on me when I was coaching in Nebraska. It said, billion dollar coach. Now, you look at the headlines, said, I, I don't have a billion dollars. But if you read the damn article, it said, I took a company that was going out of business, and after eight years, we earned a billion dollars. That's what it was. This is a billion-dollar coach. That's where the billion-dollar things came in. But what happened was people said, who's this guy? And they didn't do their homework. People take shortcuts all the time. So they said, okay, we're going to get rid of that guy, and we got to bring in somebody else. You know, but who's this guy, right? So it began kind of a little bit negative. And all I said to my team and the community, I said, just give me a chance. Just give me a chance. We're going to do this on BAM. Here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to be held accountable. And I expect to, uh, you'll you'll earn, I'll earn your trust. I'll earn it, but it'll, but it'll want to take in some time. In my, in my first four or five months, my first six months there, I got four traffic tickets. I was pulled over. Two of them were like a 42 and a 35. Got four tickets. 
we really started to click. We were supposed to have a losing season my first year. We began two and four. Then we ran the rest of the table. We won the conference. I was coach of the year. We, we, we went to the playoffs. We won in the playoffs. And all of a sudden, hey, this is not so bad. And then from there, we really started a hump. We got national. From there, we really started a hump. In my last 10 years, I've been pulled over nine times. Zero Zero traffic tickets. Smuggling, go ahead. Smuggling, go ahead. It's hard to leave coastal Carolina now. See, I wish I would have told the billion-dollar story because I tell everybody I I got a billionaire in my basement tonight. I I told Owen, I said, hey, we got a billionaire. Okay, hold on a second. That was then. He's worth $4 now. Yeah, there we go. Um, When you hit the door at coastal Carolina, what division were you guys? FCS. It was FCS. So you oversaw that progression from FCS. It was because the success we had, we were invited to that. Okay. Yeah. Wow. The Sun Belt said that. So here's kind of an interesting question in my mind. If you could go back and do it again, let's say it's your decision. Would you rather stay in FCS and shoot for that national title or make that jump to the Sun Belt? I couldn't be prouder of what we've done at the FBS level with limited resources. I couldn't be prouder of that. Uh, so uh, let, let's, a, put, let's a, put that aside for a minute. It's a small fish in a big pond taking on the big boys and doing well. Yes, and I'm very proud of that. So yeah. I, I wouldn't want to give that up. But having said that, you know, again, we got 10,000 students. Our entire athletic budget for 17 sports, including football, is $35 million. All right, so... Uh, so at the end of the day, how can we pot now NIL and yeah. automatic transfer? Any one of the biggest schools for NIL can buy one at any records I mean, anytime they want do to. Do you even have NIL? Yeah, but it's but it's nothing compared to what everybody else would have. Yeah. Well, and that's what I was gonna ask is with the way Power Five football is going, is there just gonna it, let's say the Power Five breaks away from the NCAA like you suggested. Aren't you right back where you started? Well, if they break away, yeah. well, then we're going to have the group of five, and we're going to kind of be the rest of college football. Yeah. So we're going to have our own national championship. Yeah. We can win that national championship. But we're not going to win the power. We're not going to win the national no. championship. You know, we're not going to win that one. And if we break in the top 25, you know, uh, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And if we have a good year, top 50, well, that doesn't make me feel all warm or fuzzy. But what I care about the most is whether or not we really, really maximize our potential. Did we get the job done? If I can say yes, that I can look in the mirror and be okay. Now, take that away for a moment. I would have loved, truly loved, if I had to make the decision, selfishly not knowing what was going to happen, I would have said, leave us alone in FCS to the end of my kind of next three or four years, and we're going to win a national championship. I think we probably could have done that, but uh, did, you get to the semi- did you get to the semis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. But we—I mean, we ranked—we ranked number one in the country over two different seasons, for like 12, 13 weeks. We were a top ten, we were a top four, you know, that type of thing. So I mean, we became an elite FCS program. And that's not—I mean, Mark Farley, head coach at UNI Northern <laughs> Iowa, was good friends of mine, and he's—I mean—he's been there so many years. But I mean. FCS is really good football. If you're I mean, in no this question. part, really good. I mean, no if you're in this part of the country, you're watching South Dakota State take Minnesota the lim- to the limit. North I mean, Dakota State too, you know. Every, I mean, it's it's there's some pretty amazing FCS football in this part of the country. It's fun to watch. They're not afraid to 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 go butt heads with the big dogs. It, it's. 
I mean, it's a pretty fine line. Depth is the fine line, isn't it? I mean, don't you think depth is the fine line? They're athletes. If you really, really look at the players, everybody's big, right? But their offensive linemen have better feet than our offensive linemen do. You know, they're a little quicker, a little better, plus the depth. Oh, you know, that's all part of it. So FCS, we had 63 scholarships. Whether you're group of five or power five, you have 85 scholarships. But within the Sun Belt, I think when we first moved to the Sun Belt was officially 2017. Uh, when we first uh, had gotten to the Sun Belt, I think the Sun Belt was considered probably the fifth weakest or the fifth strongest, the weakest yeah. of the group of five schools. Today, I think it's got to be us or the or the West Coast got it yeah. for, for, for the toughest. I mean, you know, we played power five schools and we've beaten them. Uh, you got App State that beats them. You've got Troy that's beat Nebraska. You've got uh, James uh, Madison. James Madison. I mean, we've got every one of our schools has done well and held our own in bowl games and has beaten power five schools. That doesn't mean that those schools can compete at that level yeah. all the time. On a consistent basis. Now, can, I mean, we, there, can we play with Vanderbilt? Okay, yeah, can we play yeah. with – but that's the bottom – No, you played with UCLA. Right, yeah. but, but that, that's there's the bottom a, wrong. The, yeah, there's a on any given day type scenario where you're going to be able to match up yes. with those schools. Yes. Yes. And you see that on a consistent basis where – that I mean, North Dakota had Nebraska in a one-score yeah. game for. Well, it was a one-score game. Do you miss coaching? God, you're so passionate about. It. Do you miss coaching? I miss the preparation. I miss the film study. I miss working with the coaches. The I process. Working, I miss the process. I miss working with my players. I miss the media. I miss the fans. I miss game day. I miss practice. I do not miss the eighty-hour a week, seven-day-a-week. Uh, seven day a week grind for five months with no days off. I don't miss that anymore. So I've got enough balance in my perspective. <laughs> no, in my in my perspective, yeah. where I know to go and do the things that I love that I know I'm still pretty good at. Well, that's going to require eight hours a week, and you know, I, I, don't, I don't want the, I don't want that grind anymore. I kind of so, miss the grind of playing football. Do you? Yeah. Huh? Maybe it's the people. I bet it's more the people than it is the grind. Do you know what I miss is, is there's a weird, I mean, from a whether it's a player or a coaching standpoint, and I, I'm I'm saying it from the perspective that I think from whether you're a player or a coach in that situation, I, I think you kind of view it similarly. It, it's there's a focus there that you don't worry about anything else. It's, it's, it's kind of nice to sit there and go, like, what do you worry about? I worry about football. What else do you worry about? I worry about football. Football. I worry about football. When that, like, I mean, well, and that's, I mean, true for anything. If you can take any person and say, hey, what do you worry about? Well, I really only got to worry about one thing. That's kind of nice. Yeah. Do you worry about anything anymore, Joe? Yeah, I worry about, first of all, just the different things. I worry about the state of the world. I worry about geopolitics. I worry about the state of our country. I worry about what's going on in college athletics. I feel I'm a part of college athletics. I, I, I'm, I'm disgusted with the leadership that we've seen over the span of the last few years. You know, I got my family. I got my loved ones. I got all those things. I got my own investments and stuff that I need to pay attention to. Otherwise, I'd be coming asking you for a job. <laughs> no, no, that's <laughs> never going to happen. You'd be like, I don't want to work for that guy. Not, I not work for Travis. I mean, I make a little money. It's not. You well, make a, a lot of money. 
Working for you? No, no, no. On your other job. Yeah, that's what I'm talking uh, about. It's I working pay you for peanuts. you. I pay you peanuts. Yeah, but you pay him under the table? No. Yeah, I got a 1099 him. <laughs> I have to. It got to the point where I had to. T- I, I paid it, taxes. Back in the day, I paid him under the table. Then it got to a point where like, yeah, Rob, I can't do this It anymore. wasn't under the table. It was just it was, it was small enough amounts. No, but it, I was paying taxes on your stuff that I was giving you. If I, well, you like, shouldn't have done that. I you know, but I was, being, I was being a good guy. I was being a good guy. Right? You need to pay producer Owen. I have an issue. I have an issue. Okay. okay? And uh, because just because I love the IRS and I love what our country stands sure for do. so much. But <laughs> while you were paying taxes for him, yeah. you were paying at your rate, his rate would have been higher. You've cheated the U.S. <laughs> government. <laughs> that you thought you were being a good guy, you cheated our country, Travis. Criminal. God, I'm a horrible human being. Now the I IRS pro- can come knocking on my door. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, well, you never know these days, right? You're the one putting it out there on the media. No, I, you and no, Joe. No, I just uh, I've been 1099 you for about three years now, so we're we're we're, we're good to go. We're good. Yeah, yeah. Uncle Sam's getting their cut now. I have, <laughs> I have no the, doubt. And Uncle they're getting Sam their cut at the cut. rate, not the justice rate. I have no doubt. Uncle oh, Sam's no. getting their cut. Joe Moglia, I, I can't tell you. When, when I get a text from you saying, hey, I'm coming to town, can I come on the show? Rob and I get really excited. I, I want you to know you are welcome in this studio anytime. We love having you. I think the conversation every time you come here is, is fascinating. We learn something new. Uh, there's so much good stuff in this, not just for football, but I think there's so much life stuff here, leadership stuff. I, I can't thank you for for wanting to come on the show. Well, guys, really, thank you very much. And number one, I, I feel honored that you say that. And I would not be reaching out. I could come into town and not reach out. I know. I reach out because I really, I, I feel it's an honor for me to be here. And I really enjoy spending the time we with you guys. This. Our I listeners love it. Yeah. I, this is so much fun. Yeah. I, I could do this for hours upon hours upon hours. So I actually want to start a new podcast called I Know a Guy and have it be about relationships in business that's that, cool yeah, yeah because everything comes down to I know a guy yeah. I know a guy let me help you out so uh, for Joe Boglia for Dr. Rob Zadisk I'm Travis Justice we will talk to you next time on the Doc Talk Podcast presented by Betfred Sports Betfred Sports